And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. This your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host, the bodacious Lisa Wolf, is on vacation. My crabby brother, Vince Amari, is here pinch-hitting. In this hour, we'll present a detective episode of Philip Marlowe from 1950. But right now, it's time for Beat the Co-Host. In order to beat the co-host, a Hollywood 360 listener contestant named David must correctly answer more true or false trivia questions about Amy Adams than the co-host, my brother. And are you ready to play the game, bro? I'm ready. David, are you ready to play the game? Oh, hey, Carl. I'm ready. All right. You're playing against uh, my crabby brother here, so we'll see. I mean, he hasn't been crabby tonight, though. I mean, he's in his he's best behavior. Maybe I maybe I shouldn't call you crabby. Well, I had a nice nap today. Oh, you had a nap. Okay. It's a little early still, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm telling you, David's a good player, so you're going to have uh, okay. put your thinking cap, uh, thinking cap on. How are you, David? How's things? I'm good. You know, I would have never thought that Lisa was old enough to have a daughter in college. Oh, yeah. She's, this is her youngest daughter, too. Here I am throwing oh her under gosh. the bus, throwing her under the bus. She has four wow. kids, and they've all gone to college. Uh, her and her husband, wow. Dan, do a great job. She has the, just four of the greatest kids ever, and I, I give her a lot of credit. Her and her husband do a great they job. They cook the best dinners ever, too. Yeah, and when I show oh, up, no, I say— the last time she invited me over, I said, "All right, I'll bring the pies," and then I showed up empty-handed. So I've got to, re- I've got, I've got to make it up to her uh, the next time she inv- if I ever get invited again. And they didn't cook dinner; we ordered. Yeah, we dinner. ordered. Yeah, that's <laughs> we should order the pie. Yeah, I know. All right, well, so here we go. Amy Adams, she has a birthday coming up. She actually was born on my birthday, bro, August twentieth. But she is uh, a lot younger than I am. I won't say how. And a lot more pretty. She's a lot prettier. That's right. She was born in 1974. So uh, anyway, here's the first uh, Here's the first question. It is true or false. Let's start with David. David, Amy Adams dyed her hair from strawberry blonde to red to get more acting roles. Is that true or is that? False. Ah, it sounds like a Hollywood thing to do. I'll say true. Okay, David says true. Bro, what do you think? I'm going to say false. Okay, so here's for David, and here's for my brother. All right. Yep, she said it made her career. This was a defining moment in her career. Really? The minute she went red, casting directors saw her as quirky and fun instead of flirtatious and dumb, 
It was fascinating to see just one element of yourself change people's perspective, she said. Wow. So there Mm -hmm. you go. All right. David is on the board. He has got one. Maybe I should dye my hair. Yeah, what hair? (laughs) Curly. (laughs) He looks like. All right. You ready for uh, question number two? This is for you, bro. You ready? Yeah. Amy was born in Canada. True or false? True. David? Uh, he sounded pretty sure of that, and I have no idea, so I'll go along with them and say true. Okay, here's for both of you guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I guess I wasn't man. too sure, huh? Amy was uh, Amy Adams was born in Aviano, Italy in 1974. She named her daughter Aviana after the Italian town where she was born. Okay. Oh, okay. All right, question three. This is for David. You ready, David? Yep. She grew up Mormon and has seven siblings. Is that true or false? Uh, I'll say false. Bro? I'm going to go with false, too. So you both say false? It, or sound, here's it for... sounds too far out. All right, so here's for both of you. <laughs> She was. Uh, she she has said her Mormon upbringing that it instilled in me a value system I still have today, and uh, the basics uh, do unto others and love one another, and uh, was hammered into her as a kid. Yeah, and she has seven okay. siblings. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Right. Eight so is enough. Be one busy Christmas. Yeah, I'll say <laughs> you are not kidding. All right. Question number four. Is uh, who's this for now? Who goes first? Me. Okay, this is for Vince. When Amy Adams was younger, she wanted to be a doctor and worked as a nurse in a hospital. True or false? I'll say uh, true. Okay, David. Yeah, that sounds like a Mormon. That sounds like a Mormon thing to do. I'll uh, say true. Okay. Oh, for both of you. My brother oh. hasn't gotten even one right yet. Oh, I haven't gotten one. So uh, yeah. Um, when she was younger, she wanted to be a ballerina, but later switched to musical theater before landing a role in Drop Dead Gorgeous, the film that helped launch her acting career. So never wanted to be a doctor. Sorry. All right. This one okay. is for uh, for David. Question five. You ready? While yep. working yep. while working on the 2008 set of Doubt with Meryl Streep, Amy Adams learned how to cut hair. Is that true or false? That sounds crazy enough to be true. I'll say true. David says true. I'll say true. Okay, here's for both of you. You guys are are kicking some butt here. Bro, you got one more question. You might get them all wrong. Well, I probably will. All right, so uh, Amy tends to pick up a new hobby whenever she's on a a new uh, assignment, new movie. On Doubt, she earned her, uh, which earned her an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress. She learned how to knit, how to knit, not how to cut hair. Last question, I think. I think it's the last question. Yes, it is. Are you ready? Bro, you could, you could, you know. I could just quit now. Yeah. All right, here we go. Whose question? This is for you, bro? Yeah, I think so. When she was 16 years old. She worked at L.A. Fitness as an aerobics instructor. Is that true or false? False. Who said false? I did. Your crabby brother. All right. False. What do you think, David? 
Uh, I'll say true. Well, bro, you got one. Hey. David, sorry. Okay. All right, so when Uh-oh. she was 18 years old, she was a waitress at Hooters. She said, I was Whoa. a hostess at first, and then I waited tables for a while, and it was great. It was a great way to earn extra money for college. Wow. She was a Hooter mm-hmm. girl. A Hooters, huh? She was a Hooter. So I guess you guys tied. You guys tied. Right? Yeah, we're one for six. <laughs> Terrible. My goodness. Well, David, it's always a pleasure, buddy. I am going to send yeah. you uh, some CDs in the mail. Twilight Zone. How does that sound, my friend? Oh, that's, that's totally awesome. All yeah. right, buddy. You, you're a great player. I really enjoy having you on the show. And uh, my brother, not so great, but I love you. Yeah. Your okay. brother did not sound grumpy to me. No, he's he's been uh, he's on best behavior, I'll tell you. When we come back, it's Philip Marlowe. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Bro, I know you like the uh, detective in mystery and some comedy, obviously, yes. too. Yes. Philip Marlowe. You like Philip Marlowe? I do. Yep. Raymond Chandler's uh, Tough Private Eye. Hard-boiled Private Eye, his uh, first novel where you could read about Philip Marlowe was The Big Sleep. And then um, Chandler wrote six subsequent Chandler novels. And, um, of course, Raymond Chandler was his greatest uh, creation. He was seen in the films, and quite a few actors played the role in the movies. Dick Powell, Robert Montgomery, Humphrey Bogart, James Garner, Robert Mitchum. And uh, the first radio series starred Van Heflin in 1947. It's heard on NBC. And then a year later, in 1948, Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe in a series uh, created and uh, written and produced by Norman MacDonald, the uh, creator of Gunsmoke. Very, very popular series. This series we're about to listen to had the largest listening audience in 1949. It beat out Jack Benny, Suspense, any of the other shows. So very popular series. It lasted on radio until 1951. Then there was a uh, a series on television starring Philip Carey. And do you remember watching an HBO series with Powers Booth? Do you remember that? I don't. No, that was really good. It was set in the 30s. It was so good. Powers Booth did a great job as Philip Marlowe. Well, we have a radio episode for you now from February 14th, 1950, called The Grim Echo, and this stars Gerald Moore, part one of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. It could have been perfect. Snowbound in a mountain lodge with a girl who was falling in love. But also present were a widow sick with rage, a bitter old woman, and a jealous man. All with reason to hate me more than anyone else in the world. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Grim Echo.
snowstorm, man. Yeah, it's pretty thick. Yeah. You're lucky you caught me, son. Yeah. We're just closing up. When you have. Yeah, better fill it with a regular, huh? Okay. Does that mean that you're aiming to go on? That's right. Got to get back to L.A. I wouldn't advise it, son. Old Jacker and sure wouldn't. Liable to hit ten below, they say. Yeah? Where you been, skiing? Yeah, a week of it up at Angel's Roost. How's the road ahead? Well, you got 40 miles and nothing but mountains to the next town, you know. You're bound to get drifted over any time. Hey, why don't you blow that thing? Huh? Hey, what's the tariff? Oh, call it three bucks even. You know, I've been running this mobile gas station here for 20 years, and... I know these storms are nasty. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'll be all right. Yeah, that's what you all say. Out on the road, you could freeze to death. Real easy. And this plaid shirt I'm wearing, you're ripping me, Pop. Uh, listen, that shirt won't even start to keep you warm on a deserted highway in this blizzard. Take it from old Jackerins, son, I know. Yeah, well, thanks anyway. So long, old Jackerins. solid nerve-wracking hour to make 12 miles. And I began to realize just how right old Jack Ernst, the gas station boy, had been when the road ahead was lost completely in a constant racing blur of white. Transformed every rise into a treacherous barrier I had to batter my way through. With the chains on all four wheels chewing at the drifts, I managed to keep on the road somehow and plow out another five miles. And then... I caught a glimpse of the first lighted window I'd seen in all that distance just as I started down the backside of a short, steep hill. And then it happened. First, the helpless feeling of a skid. Before I could do anything about it, I was off the road in the ditch, nose first and hood deep, in a culvert drifted full of snow. I forced the door open and floundered back up to the road. I knew there was no chance of getting the car out without help and lots of it. And the ten below zero that the weather bureau had bragged about was setting in. I looked back through the slashing snow for the lighted window I'd spotted and saw a lantern swinging crazily in the hands of somebody coming toward me. A minute later, I could see it was a girl. Hello! Hello, are you hurt? No, I'm okay. Uh, my car's stuck. I skidded off the road. Yes, I know. I watched it. Oh, my. No chance of getting it out of there tonight. Oh. That's bad. Maybe tomorrow, if the visit lets up, we can get you out. Meantime, you better come on up to the lodge, mister. Lodge? Uh-huh. Mean I slid off the road right in front of a tourist lodge? Uh, oh, boy, how can I be that lucky? Well, maybe it's fate. We're not open for business in the winter, but on a night like I this... I know what you mean, believe me. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Could get tough staying out here. Oh, by the way, my name's Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. I want to pay what? you for... Did you say Philip Marlowe? Yeah, something wrong with What's that? your business, Mr. Marlowe? Oh, well, I'm a private detective from L.A. I've been skiing. I... I don't care where you've been or where you're going. You'll get no help from me, Mr. Philip Marlowe, you understand? I'd rather give shelter to a dirty dog. I hope you freeze, do you hear? I hope you freeze to death. She was a thin girl with black hollow eyes, full of hate for me. She didn't stop or look back all the way to the door, just ran in and slammed it shut. I couldn't understand it. Even on my worst day, my reputation never was that bad. I didn't wait around to worry about it because I was cold. Besides, I wanted to know why the good name Philip Marlowe was such poison at a place I'd never heard of before. 
I waded up to the heavy rustic door and looked in through a tiny window. All I could see was one corner of what had to be a big room. It was log, leather, and Navajo rugs, dominated by an enormous fireplace that filled every nook with a warm, dancing glow. <laughs> Poison or no, I wanted in. <laughs> sure did. Oh, well, uh, won't you come in? Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, I'm Donna. How are you? This is Echo Lodge. Uh, We're not open now, but, well, of course, you can't go on in the storm. No, I can't. Besides, my car's in the ditch. Well, uh, you'll be spending the night, then. I'd love to, but there seems to be two schools of thought on that subject. Well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know why, but, you know, I don't think I'm very welcome. Why do you say that? Well, I... I'll uh... tell you why, Donna. Well, Helen. Oh, dear, what's wrong? You've been crying. Do you know who he is? No, we haven't gotten around to the magic of my name yet, Helen, but maybe you'll be good Our enough to tell me. Our name is Baraki. Does that mean anything to you? Baraki? Oh, Helen, yes, yes. Baraki. Virgil Baraki was my husband. Virgil Baraki was Donna's brother. And Virgil Baraki was the man that you shot down and killed. Do you remember? I remember it all right. Six months ago, a trail that led up a blind Los Angeles alley to a garage where stolen cars were switched. I remembered the pair of vicious blue eyes glaring at me over the sights of a blazing 45. And I remembered shooting back fast. And when it was over, I was alive and he was dying. And later, the coroner's jury decided I'd killed in self-defense. The savagery here in the eyes of the woman who'd been Virgil Barucki's wife said that that decision meant nothing. Yes. Is this true? Are you the one who... Yeah, yeah, it's true. I shot a man named Virgil Barucki. I had to or be killed by him. There was no choice. You liar. You killed him in cold blood. Now get out of here. You've done enough to us. Get out. Helen, stop it. Oh, Mama. Mama, Mama Barucki, listen, Mama. This is the man who killed Virgil. I know. I've been listening and I heard everything. Go find Ralph for me, Helen. Then you'd better go out to your workshop for a while. Didn't you hear me? I said this I is the man... I said go call Ralph now, at once. Tell him to open the cabin. Then go back to your carving. Can't turn a man out in this weather, not any man. You stay, Mr. Marlowe. Thank you, Mrs. Barucki. Donna, go get some hot food. All right, Mom. So, you're Philip Marlowe, the private detective. You don't look much like I'd imagined you. Do people ever? Perhaps not. Oh, um, would you mind fixing the fire? It needs another log. Oh, not at all. You, uh, were stopped by the storm, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah. <clears throat> My car skidded into the ditch about 50 yards down the road. I see. Almost at our doorstep, you might say. A rare coincidence, isn't it? Almost too rare, Mrs. Barucki. I, uh, I'm sorry the circumstances are painful for you. I've grown used to that kind of pain, having lost both a husband and a son. Fate up to now has never been very generous. Do you believe in fate, Mr. Marlowe? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, some things happen for which there's no explanation, no maybe, explanation? but... No explanation? Who knows? Perhaps everything happens according to a prearranged schedule. 
and for a purpose. Oh, come on. You don't really think I was deliberately shoved off the road at exactly this spot for a reason? Well, you might admit it's strange, though, that there was a house nearby just when you needed one, and that it was our house. Oh, thank you, Donna. Oh, it's only soup, but it's hot and good, and there's fresh bread. <laughs> the coffee will be ready in a few minutes. Go ahead, Mr. Marlowe. Sit down. It'll do you good. Thanks. Looks wonderful. In the meanwhile, I'll check up on Ralph. He should have the cabin ready by now. It's small, but you'll be comfortable. There's a fine big oil heater in it. I haven't worked one for years. You won't have any trouble. Tell me, uh, uh, who is this Ralph? Ralph Tolman, young fellow who lives near here. Uh, Ralph works for us in the summer. And looks after us in the winter. He's staying over tonight because of the storm. He was my son's best friend. Oh, don't let the soup get cold, Mr. Marlowe. The soup was thick and delicious, and the coffee was rich, black, and steaming. Donna sat across the table and watched me eat. There was no hatred in her eyes. I looked for it closely. It wasn't even animosity. Only confusion, and for some reason, a shadow of fear. But as an hour slipped by and the conversation came easier, the shadow disappeared. Her eyes even began to smile a little. When I'd finished down to the third cup of coffee and started to help her clear the table, the cup slipped. They both grabbed for it, caught one slim inch from breaking, and wound up together on the floor. Our faces close. Why, Phil, we did it. What a team. <laughs> table waiters are jugglers. Oh, we could double this both and make a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Ralph. Yeah, Ralph. What's going on? Uh, we have uh, almost dropped a cup. Uh-huh. And it sure would have been too bad, wouldn't it, Donna? You only got about 50 like that one. I, uh, I don't know why it's so important to you, but for what it's worth, I was the one who dropped it. It's not important to me. I guess other things aren't so important to Donna either. Think you can get it out to the kitchen now without any more help, Donna? Ralph, it's high time that you... Mrs. Barucki asked me to tell you the cabin's ready, Marlowe. Thanks. No thanks necessary, mister. It's just part of my job. Guess everybody's job has its lousy side, huh? Even a private detectives. Some of them get trigger happy, I heard. I'll see you, Donna. You better get out there right away, Marlowe. Donna's got four whole dishes to carry out. And at the rate she's been going, she ought to get started or she'll never make it. Keep your fat trap shut, Buster. You're causing a draft. All right, that's the first portion of the adventures of Philip Marlowe, Raymond Chandler's uh, tough private detective being played here by Gerald Moore on radio in, um, as I said, one of the most um, listened-to detective shows on radio. It was number one of all radio shows in 1949. This is a 1950 broadcast called The Grim Echo. Uh, also in the cast, uh, some of the best in the business, in uh, including uh, Betty Lou Gerson, Verna Felton, Junius Matthews, Roy Rowan doing the announcing. We'll get back to it in just a moment. Are you enjoying this uh, program, bro? I am. I like Philip Marlowe. Yep, Philip Marlowe. And my favorite detective, of course, is Boston Blackie. But I would say second would be Sam Spade, and uh-huh. then probably Philip Marlowe. What about you? Uh, I, I like uh, I like the Thin Man. He's good, and he's uh. Oh, we gotta go. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Carl Amari. If 
you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, The Whistler, and Abbott and Costello, consider joining the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. As curator, the 10 shows I select will be the best sound quality and the most popular, along with a rare show sprinkled in to add to the fun. I'll also send you historical liner notes plus photos of the radio stars. Members also receive an email each week with a link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show. The links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 whenever you'd like. The first month membership fee is only $1, with each additional month under $10. And you can cancel at any time with no obligation. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you're supporting this show, so we thank you very much. Join the Classic Radio Club at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. All right, before we get back to Philip Marlowe, I want to remind everyone listening that we have a club. It's called the Classic Radio Club, and you get a ton of stuff if you join the Classic Radio Club. By joining, you will not only receive 10 classic radio shows in superior sound quality sent to you each and every month, either on five CDs in a collector case or emailed to you, and links that never expire. You also get a PDF booklet that has uh, all of the uh, historical information about those 10 shows, plus photos of the stars in the shows. But you get this five-hour radio show sent to you via email and a podcast each and every Monday. And now you also receive Radio Rarities, our new podcast program that just launched last Monday with Episode 1. And so that's a lot of stuff. It's actually, I did the math, 31 half-hour classic radio shows are sent to you each and every month. That's more than one a day when you uh, do the math and average it all out. 31 classic radio shows. You get 10 in the club. You get 20 throughout the month in the um, Hollywood 360 show because we do five a week there. And then the Radio Rarities is another episode so 31 half-hour classic radio shows either um, you know, sent to you via digital download. You can sign up for the CD membership as well. And the very first month, it's only $1 to join, and you can cancel at any time. Uh, we want you to experience it. Try it for a month and see all the great stuff you get. And if you don't like it, you can cancel. There's no long-term contracts or anything like that. Go to Classic radioclub.com that's classic radioclub.com all right we're listening to the grim echo starring gerald moore from february 14th valentine's day 1950 here's the conclusion to the adventures of philip marlowe Tolman walked behind me as far as the door and pointed through the snow to a tiny square of light sitting apart from the rest of the buildings that Made up Echo Lodge. As soon as I was outside, he slammed the door against my back and bolted it. I stood on the porch and thought about the setup for a minute while I lit a cigarette. And I stepped out into the snow and headed for the cabin. Halfway there, I could see it clearly. It looked snug and warm. And under the circumstances, I knew it was better for everybody that I was sleeping outside the main lodge. But then I saw a sudden flash and felt the impact before anything else. 
Right in front of me, the cabin lurched. One entire wall burst out and the roof collapsed. A second later, as I ran toward what was left of it, I could hear the others coming. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, Donna. What happened, Marlowe? I don't know, Tolman. It must have been the heat, but I, I can't understand it. Is it the heat exploded? Yeah, yeah, Helen, that's the way it looks. But it was working okay when I left. I guess it's not going to burn, though. The snow's put it all out. Oh, Phil, just another few seconds and you'd have been in there. You'd have been killed. Yeah, maybe that was fate, too, huh? Maybe. Donna, get away from here. No, Helen. I wish you had been in there, Marlowe. You deserve it. Hey. Stop it, Helen. He's got no business here. Stop it. Oh, leave me alone. Good Lord, after what he's done to us, how can you bear even to look at him? Oh, Helen, come back here. Let her go. This was an accident, Donna. An accident, you hear? They happened. Don't they, Mr. Marlowe? Oh, sure, sure. Everybody knows accidents will happen, Mrs. Barucki. Of course, but... Oh, then let's get back into the house before we freeze to death. You can have my room now. I'll sleep with Donna. Come along, all of you. It was a dreary little procession that trudged back toward the lodge again from the shattered cabin. I said nothing and pushed hard against the storm as far as the front door. But when they were all inside, I ducked back into the biting blizzard and ran down to my car in the 38 I kept in the glove compartment there. I figured it would be a warning comfort through the long, cold night ahead. Until I saw that somebody else had figured the same way. The lock on the glove compartment had been sprung and the gun was gone. Now there was no doubt about the explosion. It had been no less accidental than Lucretia Borgia working over an after-dinner drink. As I hurried back to the lodge, I suddenly felt the kind of inside cold which you can't have a blame on the weather around you. But a moment later, that same cold began to thaw. Because huddled at the edge of the lodge, steps ahead was Donna. Phil, where have you been? What have you been doing? Hey. Everything is going to be all right. Oh, Phil, please. Why did you go down to your car? Well, I'll tell you, but you're going to be sorry. Sorry? <laughs> but you got so upset over nothing. I wanted to get some cigarettes out of the glove compartment. I was fresh out. That, that was your only reason? Cigarettes? Sure, sure. Now, come on, huh? You got to worry. Let's do it where we can both be warm. <laughs> come on over to the fire. I'm a city boy, you know. This cold isn't doing me any... Hey. Hey, Donna. Those tears in your eyes. There. They're from the wind. It, it always makes me cry. Yeah. Oh, Phil. Why do things have to be this way? An hour ago, when you were eating, everything was so nice, so friendly. And then suddenly, Ralph angry, the explosion, Helen screaming and clawing at your mama. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But look, look, baby, listen to me hard, huh? Yes? You see, the things you just spoke of, Ralph, the explosion, Helen, all of it, all the trouble, it belongs to tonight, like the blizzard out there. Oh, it's raging now, sure, but tomorrow... Well, maybe a little after tomorrow it'll stop. Everything will look bright and clean to you. Honest, honey, that's the way it'll be. All the way around. Believe me? Oh, Phil, I... I want to, but... But what? But you're talking about tomorrow. I'm worried about tonight. I'm afraid, Phil. Awfully afraid. <laughs> I spent the next ten minutes trying to convince Donna that there wasn't anything to worry about. And then when she'd gone to her room, I went to mine and started all over again trying to convince myself. 
The out-of-season fireworks at the cabin and the guns stolen from my car made that a very tough proposition. And I checked the room, which was on the ground floor and close to the kitchen. And then I bolted the door and looked forward to some much-needed sleep. After that, I took off my shirt and shoes only, got into bed, and waited for sleep, which a weekend of skiing made more important than a cabin full of hate. Suddenly, I was wide awake and sitting straight up in bed. The footsteps could have belonged to my dream. The door that closed couldn't have. I scrambled out of bed and ran to it, but it was still bolting. So I turned to the single closet in the room and opened it sharply. It was empty, except for a long, thin finger of light that streamed through a keyhole. A keyhole that belonged to a door at the rear of the closet that gave out onto the kitchen. Obviously, the closet had once been a pantry. I tried the door, but it was bolted from the kitchen side. I got into my shoes, grabbed my shirt, and ran out of the room around to the kitchen and smack into a very surprised Ralph. Oh, my... Marlowe, what are you doing up and roaming around? I'm a sleepwalker. What's your excuse? Come on, let's have it. I'm through playing target for tonight. Target! Sure, can't talk to me, Marlowe. When I know why you're hearing exactly what's on your mind, I will not before. Well, have we come to terms? All right, all right, let go. I'm here because my room is on the ground floor and I heard somebody cross through the house and come into this kitchen. So I decided to investigate. You're a liar. You're in my room, Tolman, and you know it. You got in through the door that leads into the closet. Come on, Buster, let's level. We're keeping each other awake. Listen, Marlowe, I don't like you. Honest? And I don't like the way you and Donna are... The way we're what? Come on, boy, get it off your chest. Never mind that now. Look at this. Wood shaving, so what? Yeah, found it near the door to the closet in your room. Might also be the answer to who your visitor was. She left her calling card. What do you mean, calling card? Helen. She's always covered with these shavings. She makes things out of rough pine. Where is this workshop of hers, Tolman? Out in the back, just beyond the barn. What are you going to do, Marlowe? Not that it's any of your business, but I'm going to see the lady, and I'll see you. Want. Conversation, Helen, if you don't mind. Now, wait a minute, you it's late. Close I that door. I will not. Then I will. Now get over there and sit down. We got a few things to clear up. Like what? The way you murdered my husband, perhaps? Cut it out. You... Stop it, Helen, or I'll cut no, your arm off. No, Just you as soon as you decide to behave. Those nails of no. yours draw blood, baby. Were they gonna be good? Yes. All right. Now sit down. Over there, away from those sharp chisels you work with and keep your hands in your lap. Go on, that chair there. Very well, Mr. Marlowe. Anything to accommodate the man who murdered my husband. Which brings us right to the point. You deny it. You deny that you shot him down. I fired in self-defense. That's a rotten, lie. You did it to feather your own nest to be a hero to the police and the newspapers. You're wrong, Helen. I killed your husband because I had to. He was on the wrong side. Oh, don't make me laugh. You call trying to get money for his family for me? You call that being on the wrong side? So much that he should have been killed, shot down by the likes of you... Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you have no idea how through these past six lonely months I've thought of you. I've wondered what you looked like, what the man who killed Virgil was doing, how you'd like to meet the same death you brought to my husband under the brave banner of law and order. Now, wait a minute, And don't listen. think I didn't plan your death a thousand times over. Don't think I didn't approach Mama Barucky, Ralph, even sweet little Donna with a delicious thought of revenge. No. No, they talk like you talk, Mr. Marlowe. Virgil was doing the wrong thing. He was caught. It wasn't right or wrong. It was him or me. Oh, you shut up and listen. Sure. Sure, Virgil was stealing, all right. He was stealing for me, his wife. That's why he left here. That's why he tried so hard. That's why you had no reason to kill him. 
And that's why you should die, too. Oh, that's also why we had an accidental explosion at the cabin I was supposed to sleep in, huh? I was clumsy. I was hasty. I won't be the next time. You're completely out of your mind, Helen. Out of my mind? Of course I am! Did you think this existence, this living without the man I love, could leave me otherwise? Did you think making these stupid souvenirs could take his place? Killing me isn't going to bring him back. You get out of here. Go on. Get out. And if you can, Mr. Marlowe, go back to bed. While you wait for a chance to get me with my own gun, the gun you stole from my car? I'm not going to shoot you, Mr. Marlowe. That would only further disgrace the Baraki name, no. No, I'm not going to shoot you. But I am going to get you. For a long, chilling moment, I stared into the eyes of the half-crazed woman standing in front of me. The ice-cold, bottomless eyes that a cancerous hate had destroyed as something human. Then as I turned and started out of the room, I knew that I'd made a mistake that night. And Virgil Barucki had died in my arms. A mistake I had to correct before it was too late. And there was nothing left of Helen but the ruthless machinery of a mind dedicated to murder. I headed back to the house and a talk with Mama Barucki, which I figured had to be the first immediate step. But when I'd gone only a dozen yards from the workshop, I stopped. Donna, what are you doing out here? I couldn't sleep, Phil. I, I was too worried about you. And then when I saw you leave the house from my window and head for the workshop, I... Oh, Phil, Phil, your face. Oh, it was Helen. She, uh, she got a little upset in there. A little? Oh, look at you. Your pocket ripped off your shirt, hmm? your face scratched. Oh, it's all right, oh, Phil, Donna. Phil, could've... No. Hey. Hey, my pocket ripped off. The gun. Oh, Phil, what is it? Tell me, please. I now, hold it, Donna. Give me a second. Yeah, yeah, sure, it adds all right. Now, look, get over there inside the barn and scream, long and loud, huh? Scream? Yeah, yeah, it's our only chance. Go on, do as I say, Donna, scream. All right, I'll do it, Phil, whatever you say. The second Donna cut loose, I stepped out of sight behind a tree that was opposite the barn, and I kept my eyes glued to the door of the workshop I just left. I waited for the shattering report of the gun I was afraid I'd hear. But then the door flew open, and Helen was running out toward the barn, and Donna screamed. <laughs> My Donna, 38 clenched in a handkerchief Donna, in her right hand, a look of stock bewilderment stamped over her face. Donna, answer me, what's up? Donna, what are you doing there by the barn? I don't know, Helen. What do you mean you don't know? It's a favor to me, Helen. Why I'll have that gun back without further discussion. No, no, yes! No. There! Now get back against that wall and don't move an inch. No! No! I... Oh. Oh, Phil, what is all this? Attempted murder, honey. She's all right. Attempted murder? You mean Helen here was going to try and kill someone? Yeah, herself. Or suicide? Uh-huh, suicide. That would be called murder and pinned on me. It's going to be her way of getting even. I oh, know, Phil. I, I can't believe it. She you. tried to once, honey, the explosion at the cabin. But when that failed and everybody knew how she felt about me, a warped mind hit upon this little plan, and all the pieces would have fit tight, too. What pieces? What do you mean? That one we argued... Two, she came to my room tonight and ripped the pocket off this plaid shirt so that we'd find it clenched in her hand after she was dead. You see it? Three, she stole my thirty-eight, which has my fingerprints on it. And four, she left an obvious clue on the floor of the kitchen, a wood shaving that would bring me out here on the run. So everybody could find me close by when it happened. Oh, yeah, it was tight, all right. Tight as a hangman's noose. And then she was going to shoot herself, Phil, just after you left her. And that, that's why you made me scream? Yeah. And that's why now, Donna, later tonight, I'm going to tell her something that I intended to break to her gently. Something I was going to tell Mama Barucki first. Something I hoped would straighten her out. What, Phil? 
Well, your brother Virgil didn't die the moment he was shot, Donna. He, he lived long enough to ask one thing of me. What are, what are you trying to say, Phil? That I never let Helen or you people here know about the woman he was in love with in L.A. He... The woman through whom I tracked him down. I guess it, it wouldn't be good for her if... if... I was around too much? No, honey, not for a while, anyway. Wouldn't be good for any of us, huh? Come on, Donna, let's get her into the house. Yes. Yes, Phil. <laughs> Well, it was the next morning. I went into the kitchen for some coffee and found myself all alone. Donna wasn't any place in sight. So I got my things together and walked slowly down to my car. And when I got in, I didn't feel like leaving. Not right away. And I was glad that warming up my motor was the smart thing to do. Gave me time to light a cigarette and think. Look around. Back toward Echo Lodge, where... <laughs> I could see Donna waving goodbye from an upstairs window. Yeah. Sure. I'd see her again in a little while. It was a small world, all right. Full of echoes. And just think how the web of paths we call coincidence had brought me and those who knew and loved Virgil together. Someday, maybe... Donna and I would be looking for each other. And those paths would make it a lot easier. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Sammy Hill, Betty Lou Gerson, Verna Felton, Frank Gerstle, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a peddler of pulp paper love a blackmailer with muscles, a south-of-the-border chiseler, a simpering prude, and a corpse in a bedroom, all had one thing in common. Each was a woman. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now, stay tuned for Pursuit which follows immediately on most of these same CBS network stations. This is CBS, where you bet your life with Groucho Marx every Wednesday, the Columbia Broadcasting System. All right, that's The Adventures of Philip Marlowe from February 14th. 1950, The Grim Echo is heard on CBS that did not have a sponsor at that time. This show, um, for a little while, Wrigley's Spearmint Gum was a sponsor, but on this particular episode, it's really crazy when you think about 
here was a show that had one of the largest audiences on radio, and they weren't sponsored. That's amazing. You know, when you think about it, um, Gerald Moore, a very deep voice, Gerald Moore there as uh, Philip Marlowe. Um, Norman McDonald was the producer-director in the cast. Betty Lou Gerson, Sammy Hill, uh, Verna Felton, Roy Rowan doing the announcing. Coming up on a uh, Radio Rarities episode, and the only way you can get Radio Rarities is to be a podcast subscriber or a Classic Radio Club member. But we uh, we do tack that on to the uh, weekly podcast of Hollywood 360 now. Coming up very soon, I think episode four or five, we play a Philip Marlowe episode. And it's a very... Episode four. Episode four, because Mike just mixed it. It's uh, I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but it's a very unique episode, the most unique episode in the series. So that's what we do with Radio Rarities. Every single week we take a very unique show. It might be a pilot episode, might be a show you never heard before, might be one of a kind in some way, might be a big star on the show or taking the place of the uh, of the person. You never know. It's something different each and every week on Radio Rarities. Um, but we have a Philip Marlowe episode coming up on that, episode four, as Mike just said. So we hope you will uh, subscribe to the Hollywood 360 podcast, um, which you would get each and every Monday, the full five-hour show. This show here that we do every uh, every week, this full five-hour show, a lot of our stations don't carry the full five hours. So if you want to hear the full five hours plus radio rarities, Go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com, Hollywood360radio.com, and sign up for the podcast so you can get uh, the full show plus radio rarities or join Classic Radio Club at ClassicRadioClub.com, and you won't miss a single moment of Hollywood 360 or radio rarities. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, it's more of Hollywood 360 with my crabby brother, pinch hitting for Lisa Wolf. so stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next hour, it's Frontier Gentlemen, and we need a caller for Name That Beatles Tune. Oh, if you're a Beatles fan, you should be calling right now. 312-642-5600. 312-642-5600. You're going to play against my crabby brother, Vince. You'll win a prize. And we'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.